Hi, Will Gethin here. Welcome to the sixth and final episode of Series 2 of the Folly or Blisters podcast. This episode explores the astonishing tale of redemption of Liam Meredith, a former convict and drug addict who, having radically transformed his own life, now supports other ex-offenders to move away from crime. In this conversation, Liam candidly shares his journey from broken home beginnings to addiction and drug dealing, through imprisonment and healing with horses, and almost to his emergence as the inspired entrepreneur, rap artist and mentor to other ex-offenders he is today. For the first time on Folio Blisters, this special episode is available to watch in full on video on Spotify and YouTube, as well as via audio on all the other usual podcasting channels. I hope you'll be touched and uplifted by Liam's extraordinary story. Hey Liam. Hi Will. Good to see you. And you mate. Thanks for coming all the way down from Burrington Coombe, just outside Bristol, right? Yep, that's it, yeah. Uh, to come and join us here in the studio. We're at Stroh College here, so big thanks to Stroh for lending us their studio and the uh, very able uh, Isaac Nichols, who's our editor and filmer today. Um, so yeah, Liam, um, it's a real honour to have you on this podcast. Um, maybe of all the guests so far, I, I have a a feeling that your story is arguably the most fascinating and interesting. Wow. Um, it's a remarkable tale of redemption. Um, wow. We've worked together, obviously, with uh, the crime prevention charity Key for Life, who you obviously work for to, today. And, um, we've worked together with the charity. I've also been doing publicity and booked you on many interviews. And uh, you've been on Radio 2, you've been on Radio 4, you've been on various BBC and ITV TVs and all sorts of things. And uh, there's always amazing, I say always, people off at the BBC have come back to me and said, wow, Liam completely wowed our audiences across the country. <laughs> we have so much feedback. And uh, so, yeah, it's an honour to have you on the show today. So how are you feeling today, Liam? So um, to be totally honest, Will, I'm feeling really humble um, just by what you just said. Um, really grateful for, for the opportunities that I've been given. Um, really grateful to you. For, for the opportunities that you've given me in my life and not only me, people that's heard what we've had to say and found the light themselves now. So yeah, it's just a pleasure to finally be here with you now in this time when it's meant to have happened. So yeah, just feeling grateful, Will. Yes, we've talked about doing this interview for, for a long time now, haven't we? Yeah, fine, yeah. but the universe has been been doing its bits and bobs to make sure it happened at the right time, yeah, which has. I definitely feel is now. Yeah. So before we just dive in and hear all about your your story, um, maybe just give us a sense of what your life, what you what you do today, what your work is today, and yeah. what, you, what you're up to. So right now, I find myself just in in the midst of the storm, really, of just giving it back. I'm I'm working for the charity Key for Life, which helped me find my path of redemption, um, giving back to the communities and far beyond my own community. So I'm like a caseworker. So I'm taking young men that's in a similar position to what I was, taking them into getting careers, not only jobs, but careers in industries they want to be in. I'm banging on the doors of the people that's able to offer these opportunities now. So yeah, I'm just trying to remain that, that catalyst for change, the middleman promoting change on top of running my own business. So I've got my own catering firm, Execo Flavors Fine Catering which was inspired by Kiefer Loisberger van, which is a, a renovated sweat box, but I'm sure we'll touch later on in the interview from that. So yeah, at the moment, I'm just 
just living my best life well clean clean of addiction giving back to the community and just trying to pay forward for all the good that i've had put into me fantastic mate um and also liam of course you 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 do rapping as well don't you yeah um so we're going to hear more about that and you're you're even going to do a little a little rap for us a bit later on yeah i might give you a 16 or a 24 we'll have to see what the royalties are saying (laughs) (laughs) fantastic uh so yeah let's dive into um to your journey it starts with the call to adventure uh what was the call to eventually and that led you in a sense to where you are with your life today now obviously there have been various sort of darker twists and turns maybe moments of of grace that you weren't expecting but um we are where we are today and what was the call to adventure that set you off on the journey well it's it's a funny question really well because i felt i've always felt calls for adventure of I feel like they come a lot of times over, over my life and throughout my childhood, really. Um, but when I turned 17, um, I was heavily addicted to drugs and I was I was completely lost in, in the lifestyle I was living. And on this particular occasion, I remembered I was awake. I'd been awake for 11 days and I hadn't slept a wink for 11 days solid. And it climatized when I was in, I was living in a homeless hostel and I was letting my friend live with me because he was homeless as well. And he had a big, big pile of drugs on, on the mirror. I hope I'm allowed to say drugs, but he did. He had a big part and he was trying to force it into me and I just didn't want to do it. I felt like my life was about to end if, if I did. And I, I kicked, I kicked the drugs out of his hand and, and I left, I left my property and I, I walked to the park and I, I sat on a bench in the park and it was like I was taking my last breaths. I could feel it and the sun was just rising and I just looked up to the sky and I just started praying to, to God to to spare me and to let me see my mum again, let me see my nan again and and to help me. And I just wanted, I wanted more for my life, but I was convinced that, that that was it, that this was the pinnacle, this was the end now. My mum was gonna hear that I'd been found on a park bench and this old lady come walking past walking her dog and she asked me am I okay and I I couldn't really talk to give her an answer I definitely wasn't okay and and with that she she called me an ambulance and I was I was checked into into hospital in Bridgewater and I was coming around with all these, these tubes and pipes and checks going on on me and I just realized that I was okay that that I could actually function again i was okay i was going to survive and with that i took all the tubes out of me and i i I marched home to my mum's house and yeah i went and seen my mum and my mum just broke down into tears and she was just saying please liam i don't want to bury you like she buried ashley who was one of our very close people a couple couple months before due to a drug overdose and i swore with god that day that i'll change and i won't take drugs again and I'm going to serve a good life. I'm going to be a good son. I'm going to be a good brother. And I'm going to, I'm going to make the most of it now, but it was short lived. Do you know what I mean? I instantly started drinking alcohol and five days into my journey, I committed an offense then on Friday, the 13th of April, 2012. And I, I, what actually happened was it was a revenge attack for me being robbed while I was out on the roads, living in the homeless hostel. I got, I got robbed at knife point for a large amount of drugs. And 
it was like God's test, really. Do you know what I mean? It was like, well, there you go. If you're serious, he's he's right there in that window. And I, I crippled, I failed, and I picked up a weapon and I ran into the house and I took my revenge. And I was then given a, a six-year prison sentence for that moment of madness. But that that was that was my chance. That that was the help that I needed actually at the time to break free of of all the demons and yeah god knew that i wasn't gonna uphold my end of the bargain if he had left me out here so he he gave me a chance yeah and the chance came in the form of a prison which is rather ironic well as it's turned out if you hadn't gone to prison once even twice <laughs> yeah you wouldn't have had all the opportunities you've had actually mm. weirdly enough from it to um to not only turn your life around but to really help turn around the lives of a lot of others and i think Am I right in thinking that call you, that you that you felt in that moment of despair was to was to do well, you know was to create some good in your life and to have mm, to make it bigger than me? It yeah. was like it felt like like my everything was inverted towards myself. I hated myself and the people that I loved I removed to protect them. Do you know what I mean? And it was like I totally isolated myself and it was all for selfish reasons because I wanted to do this because I wanted to do that and I always thought. There was something bigger than myself. Um, and it was like, I was so off cause, I was so off purpose that the calling come and it was like, <laughs> if, if you're not gonna take it serious, then there, there's other ways we can go around this, Liam. Yeah. Um, and I did, then I got, got to prison and I realized that actually, yeah, everything I've experienced in my life from watching my mum getting beaten from the drugs and X, Y, and Z, this was the the end of it and there was a lot of people in this environment that needed my help and had i never actually got to see that side of it yeah it would have always been blindsided so i've seen yeah. the aftermath of what happens when the lads are released from prison if they haven't got the help yeah and there's victims yeah there's a lot more victims and i was i was a victim yeah. until until that chance came okay so you went to prison um at that point but let's just rewind the clock, um, jump back in time, and just get a sense of your your childhood, your upbringing, and how explore like how your how your journey, if you like, towards falling into crime came about. Mm. So yeah, how how did it? Well, just tell me here, what was childhood like? What was it like growing up? As far as I know, it was beautiful. The start of my life was picture perfect. I was born in Incombe, which is a little valley in, in South Wales, a mining, mining village. And my granddad was a coal miner. My great granddad was a coal and my great great granddad was a coal miner. And I was with my mum and dad and the whole family in the valley. But I believe my father made the mistake of of seeing another woman or something along them lines. And my mum, my mum had to leave him. And that looked like us moving to Birmingham then. They was both always recreational drug users. So my father was a drinker, more borderline alcoholic, and my mother was just a recreational. She'd take pills, she'd take pot, and she'd take all them, do you know what I mean, recreationally. So yeah. she weren't a heavy addict. But then when we moved to Birmingham, she met... So dad stay in Wales? Dad stayed in Wales, yeah. So she split up with dad, and that's why she moved us to Birmingham, to be closer to her mum and her side of the family. Did you see much of dad after that? Yeah, so we'd see dad in my school holidays. So like me and my dad, I idolise my dad, do you know what I mean? I love him with all my heart. He 
he hasn't fulfilled everything that he could have done with his life, but I've learned a lot from my dad and he's happy and he's you're still, you're still in touch. We're still in touch yeah. all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's a good dad. He's a good dad. I believe a, a good dad ain't someone that buys you this and buys you that. And a good dad's just someone that's there to give you lessons when you need them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just that solid figure. And dad always was that. Do you know what I mean? People were quick enough to slander their dads. And I get a lot of people ain't got a dad. But I do. I just, I'm grateful to yeah. have my father still. Yeah. to be able to appreciate we all make mistakes i know that better than anyone now i'm older yeah and i've made probably more mistakes than my father made yeah so if i can't forgive him how could i ever expect anyone to forgive myself yeah yeah so yeah back to back to mum and birmingham so, yeah. so then yeah so mum moved us to birmingham to get away from dad and all my welsh side of my family and she met she met a bloke in, in birmingham who was very violent and he was much deeper into his drug addiction. Um, I won't share his name, but he was a heroin addict. Do you know what I mean? Crack cocaine addict. And it yeah. wasn't long before my mum started taking the drugs herself. And me and my little brother, Jake, um, were collateral damage then to everything what happened around your parents using. So like, it'd always be, mum would always be absent. They'd always be trying to wake her up. Mum would have an overdose, call an ambulance go out shoplifting as mum's cover. Mum would get caught shoplifting. Me and Jake would be running around town getting chased by security as toddlers, do you know what I mean? Dodging drug paraphernalia, stepping over addicts that are asleep in the hallway. And, but my mum loved us. I can't take anything away from that. Mum adored us. She always done her absolute best. But unfortunately the demons, they had a grip on her and it was questionable whether we was ever going to make it out, to be totally honest. Yeah, I've, he I've heard you say that you, that you, um, you didn't realise your life wasn't normal yeah, until later. But I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine, really. It's such an unusual childhood, isn't it? Well, maybe not that unusual, yeah. but to me, it's unusual. Um, well, you do. You, know, you go around, you like, used to go to people's houses, yeah. but they would be my mum's friends' houses that were also addicts. And I remember we had two other lads that we'd always go and they would they had their life was the same as ours so anywhere that we got to see or witness seemed similar was there a sense within that environment that you grew up in that drugs were a positive thing that you should be doing 100 percent violence particularly violence was a positive thing as were drugs really yeah violent it, violence was the best tool for communication um growing up people didn't listen a lot but then violence would be brought into it and people would listen a lot and people often like my mum's partners a lot of the time wouldn't even talk it would just be savage assaults brutal on brutal, you brutal assaults my mum would always throw herself on top on top of you she wow. always, always throw herself in the way how, brutal, brutal how bad do those assaults get like how bad was the life threatening or life threatening literally 100 percent. from when you were a kid my mum's been on icu intensive care units life threatening i remember once we come home and there was there was a wheelie bin through our back window and i was about i was about six seven i thought quite strange in it i've never seen that before i've been through our window and mum said right you boys you can't stay home tonight you've got to stay at your at your aunties who live around the corner so we stayed at Auntie's, Manny Lou's, and I come home the next morning, and I didn't recognise my mum. I didn't recognise her. She was she was battered. 
God. Battered black and blue, and she was in intensive care that, that night and had to get out so she could smoke gear. Do you know what I mean? Like it was dark. And this was just normal to you. Literally, I didn't recognize her. The only thing that clocked it was there was a blanket over her that had hospital written all over it. And I was a hospital. And then I looked and I realized it was my mom and she had to go to hospital because she had been beaten so badly. And I know it was, I know it was, mom knew it was, but it didn't end there. It was like then the next day, within a few days, they, they, they had gone out shoplifting and this bloke was looking after me and my brother and people broke into the house all in balaclavas and we were young kids and they were saying to jerry like jerry we're gonna get him we're gonna get him he's got to get it he's got to get it which was obviously referring to my mum's partner that they didn't get that night and then i was i was sat in the st stood in the spare room looking out the window and i could see my mum and her partner coming down the driveway and I was banging the window because I knew they was they was waiting in the hallway with knives. I was banging, screaming, please, mum, don't come in, don't come in, don't come in. And she come running down the drive. Obviously, her motherly instinct kicked in like it always did. She's seen me up there screaming. She's come running in the house and that was it. Just hear it all kicking off downstairs. I went downstairs and then, thank heavens, it wasn't my mum but her partner was just lying on the floor, bleeding out, holes all in him. Wow. Do you know what I mean? And my mum my saved his life. My mum threw a mattress on top of him. There's a mattress in the hallway and she rolled that. They would, otherwise they, was, they, they would have kept going. And it's, that, was just, that was just the day in the life. Do you know what I mean? And then growing up- Do you feel up, a sense realize, of being, do you ever feel like slightly haunted by those memories now? I, I just feel, it's not haunted because I just feel like just I've got to make the most of this time now. Do you know what I mean? Like, like people still experiencing that. Yeah. I did experience, people still going through that. A yeah. lot closer to home than anyone actually realizes. Yeah, right. So I feel like I just got to make this time count now to just make my family proud, yeah, but at the same time help the younger version of me, help my my, my mum, and my mum needed that help. Help the people that were beating her up. They're yeah. the ones that really need the help. Yeah, people yeah. forget that. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? They worry yeah. about the victim, but if we don't yeah. actually fix the perpetrators, yeah. they're gonna keep perpetrating, and the victim list is gonna unfortunately keep growing. Yeah. So. And yet your mum went inside herself, didn't she? Intermittently, and mm -hmm. there's one sentence I think was about 30 months. Yeah. And um, she, of course, did a bit of, we did an article through Key for Life that ended up in the Daily Mail about yeah. sort of the mothers of ex-offenders and how their stories, what their, about their own stories and what they've been through. And your mum shared hers very bravely and, um, yeah, amazingly. And um, she shared in that how when she went to prison, you were five years old and you got strip searched yourself um, mm. to go and visit her in the prison, which I don't think you can remember that, can you? Well, vague memories of it all well, do you know what I mean? Strip searches. The one that stands out the most to me is mum smuggling drugs into the prison herself and she got caught. And that was the one time what stood out for me because they were all restraining my mum on the floor and they were restraining her partner and I was like, what's going on here? And that's it. I didn't see mum again for, for a long time. They sent her to prison and it was like, she was just ripped away from me there in that jail. And then, yeah, then I would go and visit my mum in prisons. And I think because of her offense of, supplying HMP with a class A substance, 
obviously then her, her, her risk was higher. So therefore it's appropriate to strip search five-year-olds. Yeah. Well, after the live switch, we're getting a sort of window on it's it's highly surprising that you didn't you know turn out as a model citizen (laughs) (laughs) doing things all in in the conventional sort of um perceived way of successful normal healthy way of living but but nonetheless you grew up and you went to school and um yeah how did when did things start to go wrong in terms of actually you getting into trouble yourself so i was i was always naughty do you know what i mean i was never a little angel yeah. My nan always said, everybody's going to love the little boy. Because my nan's so spiritual. And she took my mum to, to to have her palms read when she was pregnant with me. And yeah, the lady the lady said, everybody's going to love the little boy. <laughs> but the little boy might be a little bit naughty. <laughs> so I did. I was always mischievous. I was always up to no good. And I was always, I was always pushing boundaries. You know what I mean? I break my heart for my nan. My nan's in heaven now. But my nan was our rock while my mum was in rehab or in prison. We would always go and be with nan. And nan... What was nan like? Did she have a sort of vaguely normal life? Yeah, nan was was married to the forces, I believe, for most of our life. And nan was in the forces herself. So she kept us of rock together. Yeah, yeah. literally. She was a tough cookie, my nan, do you know what I mean? Um, She had to be a tough cookie. And then she, um, she ended up working in the care care system so looking after vulnerable people and she was doing that while also looking after me and my little brother and like i used to just i used to be really naughty and i regret it so much um i used to play my nan up so much but nan always yeah she always stuck by us do you know what i mean and it was the point then when i'm living with nan my mum's in rehab that i've then started to to wonder all right then i always hated drugs but what what actually is drugs and I started to to test the boundaries a little bit. And I only started smoking. How old were you then? 14, maybe. 14, maybe turning so 15. So you started smoking weed? They're, they're cigarettes. The cigarettes were Yeah, so I went, I went from cigarettes to weed in yeah. in the space of five days, I guess. Because yeah. to me, drugs quick up, were drugs. Quick upgrade, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a cigarette was a drug. I used to snap up Nan's fags. And rightly so, because lung cancer got her in the end, bless her. But I used to snap at man's face. I hated smoking and, and it was all drugs to me. But then I started smoking and I seen myself as a druggie. I know it sounds crazy, but I was such so, so young minded. I'm I'm doing drugs now. And then from that then I'm in a in a park with my friends and they're smoking bongs. And they were trying to get me to do a bong and I was contemplating, I was like, I don't really want it. These were friends at school or friends from school, yeah, yeah. my schoolmates. And it ended up cut a long story short, we ended up having a fight because I didn't want to do this bong. And they threw me in, threw me in a bunch of stinging nettles and I got out of the stinging nettles covered in bumps and bruises. And I was, I was like, come on then, I said, let's have it again. You won't get me in the stinging nettles again. And they was like, Liam, just smoke a bong and chill out. Girls, so, so peer pressure was alive and well in your school. Yeah, they said, they, <laughs> yeah, literally well. They said, just smoke it, it'll chill you out, it'll chill you out. I said, what, will it chill me out, will it? And they said, yeah, it will chill you out. You won't feel like this anymore. I did, I, I smoked that bong and a week later then I was sniffing a drug called Meow Meow. So I went I went from smoking a cigarette to sniffing class A's in two weeks while I was in school. Right. And then there was no no turning back. Mm. Or it felt like there wasn't no turning back. Yeah. And because of my mum's history, I just didn't want anyone to know. So you were selling drugs by the age of what? Sort of fifteen. Fifteen, right. 
And did you produce them? Did you actually make some of them all? I was, yeah, I was growing weed by right. 15 yeah. and selling it. Right. But couldn't grow enough to sell all the time. Well, so I'd grow, sell, pay a profit, and then I'd buy to do flips on. Right. But back then it was takeaway money, man. Do you know what I mean? I used to do it. It was just to survive. It was literally just, just to have things, just to get food. I didn't want to be a big drug dealer. It yeah. was literally just getting me things that yeah. that I couldn't have before. Yeah. And that's all it was. Yeah. And then 15 turned to 16 and 100 pound weren't a lot of money then. Do you know what I mean? A thousand pound weren't a lot of money then. Come 17, 10,000 pound weren't a lot of money. So you found yourself doing worse and worse things to get the money. Now, meanwhile, I think you developed a sort of um, great capacity for running, didn't you? Yeah, um, well, yeah. Running away from various cops. Running away from the police. And didn't you become one of the fastest runners in the southwest of England or something? I believe I was one of the fastest runners in the whole of England. Well, really? My time in did, yeah, did, did you win the official uh, I was unbeaten. cup to that way? Well, I was unbeaten in the southwest of England. Yeah. They, uh, they ran me in the southwest against the Millfield runners two years in a row. And I, I left them both in the dust. So I'd arguably say I was a lot faster than anyone in the southwest. Right, and not unnoticed, Millfield. Not unnoticed, yeah, Millfield. I believe she gave you a scholarship to the school, right? Yeah, they wanted to give me a scholarship to the school. Um, brought me in on a on a trial and a taster under one of the best scholarships they've given anyone, because of the basis that I come from poverty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we couldn't afford a fifty percent scholarship. We couldn't afford a ten percent scholarship. No, of course. If 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 they thought I had a talent, which they did, they they backed their talk, and unfortunately I didn't back mine. And yeah, within within two days of being at that school, I was smoking dope out the back of the bike sheds and got removed from removed from their school, rightly so as well. But I don't regret it. I feel like <laughs> feel like I was meant to be where I was meant to You're be. You're probably never going to fit in that school. That's, That's it. how it was. My PE teacher disagreed. He said to me, "He said you were such a fool." I said, "Why?" He said, you know, you were set. You were set for life there, Liam. And I was like, ow. And he was like, all them kids, they're all flying into school on helicopters. He was like, look out there. Look, do you see any helicopters? He's like, can you see any nice cars? And I was like, no, no. And he was like, exactly. He said, all you mates would have had you set for life. But I, I don't believe in that. Do you know, there's no better way of learning than the hard way. You yeah. learn more in failure than you ever do in success, Will. So it was meant to be. Hundred okay. percent, but thank you, Millfield. <laughs> Big up, Millfield. So yeah, so then at some point soon, you then got that um, arrest for the assault, mm. and you found yourself in prison, Portland Young Offenders. So yeah, in the hero's journey, we, classically at this stage of the journey, the on the road stage or the road of trials, as Joseph Campbell called it, um, the journey kind of starts with crossing a threshold and. For you, that threshold it was, I, I'm seeing a sort of like crossing that threshold into prison itself. And um, Joseph Campbell also referred to kind of crossing the threshold into a special world within the hero's journey, so a world that was different to the, mm. the the world back home. And so in this case, ironically, prison is the special world which you entered. And um, it was quite a special world, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it feel? How did it feel that sort of first day? Do you remember how the feelings you had going into prison? What was it like? Well, the first day going in, it's a mixed bag, really. Total mis mixed bag of emotion. I remember my overwhelming thought just being like, they was right. They was all right. Everyone that told me I was going to end up in prison, they were right. Um, 
I remember being scared. I was quite lucky, really, because my, my co-defendant, even though he was innocent, I dragged him into it. My my mum's new husband, um, which is my brother and sister's dad, he was on the bus ride with me. So I kind of had that that comfort of knowing that I knew someone. But I was watched all the films like Eight Mile and sorry, not Eight Mile, Green Mile and so on. And and I won't lie, I thought I was gonna be sexually assaulted. I thought I was gonna be stabbed. I thought I was gonna get my face cut up. I thought I, I can't drop the soap as ironic and silly as it sounds. I had all these caught hawk No, I'm sure but did, did you need to worry? Was it not like that at all? Nah. I mean it was. You had to have your senses about you. You weren't in. You weren't in Disneyland. <laughs> but it weren't. It weren't like how the movies portrayed. At least not where I went. Anyway, um, I just. I just found so much relativity. It was. It was scary. I just. I felt a sense of belonging. You did. So other people who in the come from similar backgrounds to you. Literally breaks my heart. Even thinking yeah. it now, I think about it quite a lot. Sometimes I'll just lie in bed and shed a tear and my, my missus would be like, ah, oh, what's wrong with you, you weirdo? And I'm just thinking about my friends that, that still ain't out and it's questionable to if they're ever going to get out. And they're, they're just like me. Do you know what I mean? They're such good boys. Their parents adore them. They're valued. They could, they could achieve so much, but they never got the opportunity. And I'm under no disillusion. Had I not met Keith alive, then I wouldn't have been given mine and I'd still be one of the statistics that that's failed and not one of the lucky ones that escaped. What yeah, what working with Key for Life has really shown me because um, you know, there's many, many men like yourself going through these programmes who come from an offending background and you know, it's easy for as from an outsider, from someone of a relatively normal life to look at people who've been involved in crime and think, Oh gosh, you know, they they're probably like bad people and you really learn yeah really see so clearly when you work with key for life and meet some of these people that it's not about whether they're a good person or a bad person everyone has the opportunity or you know within them the goodness to yeah to live a good life good and useful life but it's it's you know what what what, what you get brought up with what you're surrounded by what is what you're Literally, shown as normal yeah. you're shown you know beating people up taking loads exactly. of drugs doing crime is the is normal that's what you're going to grow up doing mm. and yet you see these people given the chance to turn around and given them the tools and the ability to do that and they they emerge out of that just really wonderful open-hearted people who live who've done deep gone through deep journeys they transformed they've yeah. got real soul and they really want to do good in the world and that's mm. it's really powerful to see that just in reality mm. and you're a particularly a really shining example of that Liam well, thank you well, um, it is it's, it's strange like because you said like people that have, it's always been normalized violence the drug culture gang culture and everything what goes along with it but when you take someone out of that environment and put them into a corporate world or somewhere that, that they're not particularly used to the the initial part of it is, is harrowing because they're not used to this it's changed it isn't familiar so you're the it's like our brains have to rewire and adapt to this new situation but should we give ourselves long enough in that environment, it's not long till that becomes the normal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And now I return to my old environments as a visitor mm -hmm. to try and help people. And I'm so uncomfortable there. Do you know what I mean? With, with yeah. the drug culture and the violence and the, 
and the this and the that and the thefts and the robberies and the, and I'm like, my it's totally changed. People can actually change their physiologic phys physiology. Do you know what yeah, I mean? We can yeah. actually physically change who we are in our body, in our mind, and to everybody, how everybody else sees us in the world. It's just about getting that opportunity to to do it, and then getting the resilience, the determination to actually commit to that change. Because yeah. I find working with a lot of the young men on the roads at the minute, I'm getting lads off the roads that have been on the road for, do you know what I mean? A couple of days in, in retrospect, but they've not seen what that road's got on, on for them, yeah? I can sit there and tell them like, you're putting your family at risk, the chances are you're gonna get stabbed, chances are you're gonna go to jail, chances are you're never gonna make it, do you know what I mean? And give them all about, but they don't want to hear that. No. They will do it. And it's only then when they've been to the road, they've been to jail and they've had to bury their loved ones, then they're ready for the help. So I'm finding where I'm to now, I'm getting these men off the road that have been on the roads yeah, and then I'm putting them into corporate positions yeah. and they're flying, Will. Yeah. They're flying. One guy was in jail. They were saying, oh, you can't work with him. He's too much of a problem to society. Right, oh, why is he such a problem? Oh, he made he made six figures last year on his drug line. What? Yeah, six figures on drugs last year. That's why he's in there now. I went. So he's he's an entrepreneur then. Do you know what I mean? He's a businessman. Cause that ain't easy. It ain't easy to make six figures on the roads. And then yeah, he got him into into. He works as an insurance broker now. He's in, <laughs> he's, in he's in insurance in the city in London. Yeah. And then more than six figures legally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just had to change the product. Exactly. Yeah. They're all transferable yeah, yeah. skills. But had we had got him before yeah. he had done all that, would he yeah. have been really ready to go and work in insurance? Who knows? Hi, this is Will here again. That bell was just to alert you that we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the different ways to listen to and engage with this podcast. I really hope you're enjoying this final episode of Series 2. For this series, I've been releasing monthly episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all major podcast channels where you can also subscribe. Any ratings and reviews would be really greatly appreciated as they really help to let others know about Folly or Blisters. And don't forget, we're spelling blisters with a double S on the bliss. To find out more about the podcast and the hero's journey, please head to my website, consciousfrontiers.com, where you can sign up to the newsletter for news and updates about future podcasts and events and follow our social channels. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the journey. So, yeah, we're sort of leaping ahead to... The, Sorry, well, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But um, yeah, let's get back to prison a moment. Prison, so, yeah. so yeah, what was what was it actually like? The reality of being in prison. What was it? What was it like? You're in a six by four cell. Was that? It was twelve foot by eight foot. Twelve, 12 foot by eight foot. Um, mostly double cells, mostly with pad mates. You got your two. You got a bunk bed in there, a couple of cupboards, a sink, and a and a toilet in Portland, Portland jail. The toilet was literally allocated right next to your bed. It was it was disgusting. I, I, I don't know how you could humanely get away with it, but yeah, you'd go sleep and you'd wake up and there'd be a man taking a toilet literally centimeters from your head. Wow. It's like, but it become normal. Yeah. It was more strange then when I got out to have a toilet on my own. <laughs> I was like asking my brother Jake if he can come stand in the bath line. <laughs> so, so what would you do? What would you be up to every day? Would you, were you allowed to go out your so, cell? Well, many, to be many honest, hours a day or it was like in Portland. Portland was quite rough banger. A lot of the time, I was doing 23, 22 and a half, 23 hours 
banged up behind my door every day. Wow. And that, that was my own choice because I didn't do education. So if you went to education or to a workshop, you'd get an extra five, six hours out of your cell a day. So you didn't, you didn't want that at the time? Didn't want it. Well, on my first three years, well, I was like, I was just depressed, mate. Do you know what I mean? I, I weren't preparing for my release. I was waiting for the gate to open. So it weren't a case of investing in myself, rehabilitating myself. So all I was interested in was getting back out there now and and just, yeah, and just getting back to it, not coming back jail, but not changing a thing. Oh, so you would have gone straight back out and gone back to the old life. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was the intention that, that, at the time. It was my, my intention was not to come back to jail, Yeah, but to not do anything differently. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it was insanity be, almost. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't think I needed to, to change. I thought it was like just a case of my addiction and everything always happened to me. What about the part of Liam that had that call to want to do something bigger than himself? To... That was it, Well, When I was back in the prison again, I was on Spice. I was, I was taking a drug called Spice. So that was all sort of forgotten, <laughs> lost in a haze of, I sort of doing, doldrums. I, was, I had three years yeah. behind the door to forget about. Yeah, yeah. Like, I had the calling on the bench when I got yeah. sent to prison. I, I didn't even, I weren't even aware that was part of the calling. Yeah, I thought I was just shit out of luck, yeah. and and this this was it now. Yeah, this was it. I was convinced I'd never ever go back to jail, but I was I was naive. I was yeah. really naive yeah. because I didn't invest in myself. Yeah, there was there was no real opportunities available for when I was getting out of jail. I was going back to the same environment with the same people, and doing the same things and hopefully getting a different outcome, which was never going to happen. And um, did you have um, any allies, important allies in jail at that time? So People who supported you? It all depend on what part of my journey I was on in jail. So I would go up and down in prison. I'd fluctuate. I would, I'd get clean and healthy and I'd be focusing on going to the gym as much as I could training, eating, weighing 15 stone, pure mind and body and that sort of side of it. And then I feel like I got to the peak of that and I got bored of it. So I'd relapse and I'd start taking spice again and I'd get, I'd lose all the weight and I'd go in self-destruct mode. And when I felt like I was on death's door again, then I'd build myself back up again. And that broke down my sentence. I would, I would read and stuff, but not under the intention of, of, of this is going to help me. It was for my own selfish reasons to cure boredom. I'd spend a lot of my time on basic, so it means I'd have no television, no no privileges of social, so I'd be completely isolated on my own as a prisoner with no, 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 um, no involvement with other prisoners. They kind of really isolate you, do you know what I mean, when you're on basic, and that would be for two weeks. But if you didn't keep your head down for them two weeks, it would be reinstated for another two weeks. And before you knew it, well, I'd, I'd been on basic for nine months, living off two pound a week, um, with no telly, listening to a radio. And it was all grateful, because I reframed it in my mind, like, <laughs> come the end of it, they tried giving me my television back, and I told them I don't want it. So I don't want it. Why not, Leon? Because it's just small stuff that you can take away from me. And I didn't want it back. Do you know what I mean? Come time, I think there was a big Christmas EastEnders episode on, so I had to watch it. But um, that, that was it. And, right, yeah, it was so when, you were basically really depressed and just lying there, just 
wallow, wait, waiting for my day Wallowing to come. away these dreary, awful days. Yeah, just yeah. hoping that, you know what, I could make something of my life, but no, no real belief in them words. Like, I was just submissive to... I thought everything was just happening to me. It all just happens to me. I didn't think that I was actually making it all happen. But that, I only realised that then, during my second sentence. Right, so the first sentence... You weren't really, a a, you weren't really learning a lot. You were just in this dark place. Um, but you did manage to get out. Um, through, is it three years early? Yeah, so I got six years for, for my revenge attack. And then I served three years out my six years. At, and I got released then at 21. Yeah, locked up just as I turned 18 and released just as I turned 21. And so how did it feel to be out? Amazing. Yeah. Felt on top of the world. And what did you do your first day? <sighs> Cried for a lot of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Cried for the first part. But then I just let myself down. I let everyone down. <sighs> it was just... It was all in vain. The last three years of my life just was all in vain. And I realised it when I woke up the next day. I got out from prison that day with a lad called CJ. God bless him, he... He's still, yeah, CJ, bless him. And, um, and yeah, me and CJ, CJ done a long time behind the door as well. So we got out and there was no one there at the gate. And was, what should we do then? We were waiting for our people. And he went, oh, let's cross the road. And it was such a strange experience, Will, just to cross a road. Just to cross that road was like overwhelming. And I was like, wow. Which people were you waiting for? My mum, my right. stepdad and my yeah. brothers and sisters. And they yeah. arrived, there was only a couple of minutes yeah. Late first thing in the morning, so I can let them off. It weren't like they weren't waiting for three years for that day to come, was it? <laughs> but yeah, they picked me up. We went for breakfast. It was magical. We had pictures, and I was convinced that I was going to go home that evening and watch Netflix with Amber, my mum, yeah, brothers and sisters. girlfriend, yeah. But it wasn't like that. I got home. All my friends was at the house. All my friends from before. And alcohol was waiting. The drugs was hiding in their pockets. And it just went up in the air and I started drinking and then we went to town. I didn't even get all the way to town. I got to the third pub from my estate and I was fighting in the pub. I was having a fight in the pub the day I got out of jail. And I went out with this boy in the street rolling around and that. Someone got glassed and it just it was crazy. And then we carried on and I carried on into town. Got absolutely, ste got absolutely steaming. I woke up the next morning with a black eye. My hands was all sore. My nose was blocked from how much cocaine I'd taken. My throat was sore. And I just just grabbed the quilt covers and wrapped myself in them as hard as I could. And I was just squeezing and screaming into the quilt. I was so angry with, with myself. And yeah, I just realized that, that I'd wasted all that time. And Am I going to change? I don't think that I've changed. So I went straight back out there and I was doing robberies and I was selling drugs and I was I was being as worse as I could be. I was I hated myself. I, I just I hated myself. And and that's when that's when it all happened again. So what happened again? I went to prison for another fight, another violent offense in town. I had a fight with a security guard and. Yeah, I apologised to him the next morning. I said, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you for not calling the police. 
And then I got arrested and I was in the interview and they said, can you explain what this message is about then? And yeah, I was admitting, I was admitting to an offence what I had done when I had said sorry. I was admitting guilt for something and it was a strange experience, man. So how, how long was that that you managed out, out of trouble before that? Well, not out of trouble, but till you got caught or till you had that I, fight? I, I was out of jail for less than two months. Two months, right. My mum had me own for less than two months. Right. And so you must have been absolutely gutted, right, at that point? I was heartbroken. Honestly, like, obviously a lot of my friends have committed suicide. A lot of them have died on overdoses. And I was literally at that point where I was just... I just felt like giving up. I knew it. I just thought, fuck this. Sorry about my language. I thought, I can't do this. I can't do another three years. Plus more. Plus more. But I knew I had to. I had no choice. I've got a mission. It's bigger than myself. I can't leave. I can't leave my people behind like this. I just knew it. I knew that it was temporary. I knew the sun will come again. I knew that if I stop now, I'm just causing a permanent solution for a temporary problem. And I just had this blind faith and just that calling again where I started going to church. Started actually going to church. Started getting involved with the fellowship. This was in jail? This is in jail when I got yeah. recalled, when I'm giving up yeah. on myself. The and fellowship of AA? Yeah, I was yeah. literally ready to call it. And it was like, just kept getting these overwhelming, like just, just call-ins, just call-ins for it, just to go to church, just to go to church, to go to church, get your faith, find your faith. You need to come here first before anything happens. And I was with Yvonne, who was a chaplaincy, and I just cried. I just, every time I went to church, I just cried, man. I'd see that, I'd just see it, and I'd sit there, and I'd just get an overwhelming amount of emotion in me, and just strength, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Strength for myself. And then I started really thinking, I can, I got to make something different happen now. I've got to invest in my change. I've got to invest in myself. So I did start going to the fellowship, to NA, to AA, to CA, challenging my um, addiction. I started reading books, psychology books. So this is a whole different, um, whole different journey to the first time around. This time you were actually wanting 360 to, to change. Spin. Yeah. 360 I was a different. I was a different prison. I was a different being. And do you think you were driven by the fear of what would happen to you if you didn't do these things at this point? Well, I was there. I was getting there. And then my nan died. And it was always just so... I was so I had the fear of failure before my nan died. I was always scared of being a failure. I just wanted to be a success, and that's what was kind of driving me. But the minute my nan left and turned into an angel, that's when that's when I knew that failure just ain't an option. It is not. It ain't. I'm just, fear of failure keeps me going. It's the fear of just knowing that I've got angels now up there that. Are, Pull, pull, pulling me forward, you know what I mean? My nan, my nan took her last breaths on this planet, mm. not knowing that I was gonna be okay. And I swore to myself that my mother, my other nan, my granddad, no other person that I love or care about will ever leave this body mm. worried about me. And, yeah. it, it, and that was that was the drive then, where when my nan, with her spiritual side, <sighs> She, she just, do you know what I mean? We've all got angels, man. I believe in them so much. And 
the minute my nan become an angel, things just got easier. It's like she banged a lot of doors down for me. It's like she just always wrapped me up in her in her wings and kept me safe. Have you felt an actual connection with, with your nan? 100 million percent. My nan, my nan proved that. My nan always told me that there was such thing as this, such thing as that. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not going to say what I believe in and what I don't believe in because I yeah. believe in something completely different to a lot of people I meet. But there's definitely something yeah. bigger than ourselves. And yeah. So I you mean, feel a sense of her being there, supporting you, guiding you from the from She above. proved yeah. it well. She yeah. outright proved it to me on, on, yeah. the, on a funeral. I had a mobile phone in Portland jail. I'm sorry, Portland prison, because obviously you're not allowed mobile phones. But um, I had a mobile phone, so I could contact my family and stuff. And on the night of my nan's funeral, I was wrangling my family, everyone's as well as they can be, and I'm trying to put the phone away. And I've got a certain stash for it. It was a carved out bit of wood in the table, and you'd lift up your, the, the top of your table, and you'd drop the phone into the leg. And then you'd glue that, and you'd pin it down, and officers, couldn't get in there, no one could find it and it was safe. But I couldn't find the wood glue to to seal it with and I was losing my mind and I ripped the cell apart. And then I was, thought, you know what, I'm not finding it. So I put the whole cell back together and my whole cell was spanking, everything had its place to be. And I lid in bed and then this a net bag was on the middle of my floor in my cell, this net bag, where you put your dirty washing it. And I know I just put that under my bed. I tidied everything up. There was nothing out of place. And I'm lid in my bed and there's this bag on the floor and it's got a point in it. And it's, it's obviously covering. I'm thinking, what is that? And I got out of bed and I lifted up the net bag and the wood glue was under the net bag. And th that was it. That moment there just pillared my faith into me. Like Nan's still here and she's still messing with me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's still messing with me, man. I'm not meant to have this phone. If there was any way my nan could have communicated with me that night, yeah. that was the best way. And she she was in a strong being. She she knew how much pain I was in. She knew and mm. she come to see me before she passed. 100%. Well. So, yeah. That was obviously a really dark moment for you and Nan, going and leaving you. And um, I think you, you'd lost other friends by then, right? Yeah, I lost my best friend. I lost around that time. Yeah, the same year, my best friend who he died of a who knows, but a suspected overdose. And he was he was a absolute good lad, no, so sorry, loyal, so beautiful, sold. But again, this comes from that environment. Do you know what I mean? He grew up in care homes. He's, he lost his mother. So I'm blessed to have what I've got compared to what Tom had, bless his soul, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it still ain't ending. There's, there's people dying every day, Will, but we just don't hear about it. Um, yeah. So you were back in prison. You'd lost your mate. You'd lost your nan. Was it? This must have been a really a dark time for you. Would you say we're in the dark wood stage of the journey now? 100%. Um, and what do you think was the greatest challenge for you at that time that you needed to overcome to move forward on your journey? Greatest challenge for me to overcome was just believing in myself again, I think. I think I was just, I was always so optimistic and upbeat. I was just down, I was a down dog. I felt like everything was wrong and I was trying to make it right. And it's all just come crashing down again. And this, now this time, it's not only myself. 
this is external things. This is people that I love and care about. And the biggest thing for me to overcome is just being able to to have that blind faith that they're that they're not gone and I can continue. Do you know what I mean? I can carry on and and live their lives now in a proud way. Yeah. Biggest over, biggest thing for me, well, yeah, was just just getting my head out my ass again. I was just depressed and just felt sorry for myself and just felt alone and just what's the point? What is the point in it all? So at that darkest hour, um, we'll be right in saying that around that time, key for life um, turned up mm, in yeah. prison, brought brought the horses in because they do equine therapy, don't they? Brought yeah. the horses in. That was the first yeah. contact you had with them, right? Saving grace. And uh, yeah, tell us what happened that day. So it was strange because, like you were just saying, I was I was just surrendering now to this way of life. I was giving up on it giving up on myself completely. And just as I was doing that, <laughs> I was coming back from one of the workshops what I was attending. It might have even been, it might have even been NA, you know, it might have been. And I was coming back from a fellowship meeting or something along them lines, something to build myself. And I got back onto the wing and I was greeted by all these prisoners just gawping through a window like that. And I said, what are you boys up to? And they said, Liam, have you seen all these girls in air mind? <laughs> and I was like, what? And they said, yeah, look at all these girls. So I'm at the window with them. Like, I'm like, wow. I said, anyone gone and said hello then? I said, nah, nah. I said, all right, I'll go say hello. And little did I know that, me walking into that office to introduce myself and say hello, was the day that would change everything. Everything. The angels, like, it's like my prayers got answered. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, the angels had just literally angels had appeared in the jail in a human form. And they said, Liam, we are here to change your life if you want to change it. Did you believe them? Nah, no way. Of course I didn't. I didn't think no one could change my life. Well, no one can change my life. Only I can change my life, Will. Yeah. And at that point, I didn't know if I was capable of changing it, to be completely honest with you. So did you sort of sign up for a program? Signed up for the fun, yeah. Because yeah. it was like, it seemed fun. They said they're doing football, bringing in the horses, they're doing music, which has always been a passion of mine. Mm. And I was like, and they were nice people. They weren't tarnished by prisoners. Yeah, This weren't prison officers that had dealt with the, the stick what we give them. These were innocent souls that have come in to help. And it was like, I just wanted to be a part of that, of that innocence and just being felt valued and purposeful and like I did have something that someone wanted to listen to so do you immediately sense a real feeling of hope here like this could be something yeah. I had a feeling of I need to do this yeah but the real feeling of hope come when I done done um an emotional resilience exercise with Dave yeah so Dave's the guy who leads the programs yeah Dave yeah Dave led the programs with Lee and they took me back to a situation that I hadn't I haven't slept, well, I hadn't slept properly about for years. Every time I think about it, I, I couldn't sleep. And they'd done one exercise with me, perceptual positions, and they put me as as my, as my brother, who was who I always cried for, the, the, the perpetrator, and the third party that didn't have no bias. And I had the conversation from all three points, and it totally changed the way I felt about the whole situation. It made me more knowledgeable and 
I slept like a baby that night. And I thought, there really could be something here, you know? And I started attending every session, threw myself right in. And like, yeah, the transformation had begun. I didn't even know it. And I was in my cell practicing their teachings, practicing their theories, imagining myself doing this, imagine myself putting intent into that. And then really actually reading proper books, books that actually, do you know what I mean? I felt myself evolving and self-enlightenment. I was like, boom, boom. I was actually really now growing. I wasn't this feeble prisoner just waiting for my day to come. I was this member of society from a prison that couldn't wait to offer the world what, uh, what I've got to offer now. I felt just this overwhelming sense of hope, prosperity, soulfulness, pride. And I just couldn't wait to... to to get out now under these circumstances. Fantastic. So tell me a bit about how how the horse therapy worked with the equine. The therapy. horses were strange, well, because obviously I'm not, I've got horse in my blood. My my granddad, alongside being a miner, he, he bred. He was a horse. Yeah, he was. He, yeah, he was a horse. <laughs> he was half horse. But now he, he was. He was. Do you know what I mean? He bred horses and dogs. He was a dog breeder, horse breeder. And my father broke in the horses, so my grandfather would breed and my father would break them in. So growing up, I'd be on as a toddler, I'd be on horseback with no saddle. Do you know what I mean? But obviously I lost I lost my heritage to them roots when mum took us to Birmingham. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I didn't, yeah. didn't go on horseback all the way up until that point I was in prison there. Yeah. So when Eva, the amazing Eva Hamilton, put me on on horseback, the first exercise was I was riding the horse around and she told me to just spread my wings up, spread my arms up and close my eyes. And I'll never forget it. It was literally, it was almost as if I just flew straight over the prison walls. And I was just free as a bird with the wind going through my hair and through my fingertips. And yeah, but unfortunately I did have to open my eyes. <laughs> I was on Portland Young Offenders Institution's rugby pitch with the gym gov looking at me like that. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, the horses, they just, they teach you. They teach you things on a different level. At first, I didn't really understand how intuition they was, but they're like an onion, really. Do you know what I mean? Like you learn that there's there's different ways of communicating other than language or violence. Do you know what I mean? There's your body language, your persona, your energy, your aura, and the horses are a big teacher of that about yeah. space. And people need their space. Horses need their space. So they're like a metaphor almost for teachings in life that can serve you and in all walks of life. Same as the sport, so the sport for thought with QPR, with Pablo and the team. Like, it's bigger than the sport. They ain't coming there to play football, but it's, it's all about the discipline. Like, if I asked you, Will, what do you think is the most important when a football coach is going to scout someone? Mm -hmm. Technique, ability, attitude, or application. What do you think is the top thing they look for? Technique, Attitude, application. Or talent, was it? Technique, attitude, application, or ability. I'd probably say ability. You'd probably say ability, yeah? And then yeah. what would you say next? Um, maybe attitude. Maybe attitude. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you, attitude's the top one. Right. Attitude's what they'll go for before any of the things, because you can teach ability. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You can teach all the others, but your attitude... You can't teach ability, though. That's just raw 
No, you can. You can teach ability. You can make someone more able to do something. Like yeah. if I say to you, what does practice make? Yeah. You're going to say. Perfect. It doesn't though. Practice makes permanent. The more you practice something, the chances are you'll be able to do it better permanently. Yeah, yeah. Because perfect don't exist. Yeah. So it's the same with teaching ability. You can't teach, you can teach someone to get better and it may never be perfect. Perfect don't exist, mm. but you can make them more able to be more permanent yeah. at it. Yeah. And like, it, it's just, it's mind blowing. And we're using all these metaphors. Yeah. That like, well, Key for Life used all these metaphors on me. Yeah. And like, the penny started sinking from all different angles and it was like, and the music was like using music was another part of it. Another yeah. way to sort of channel yeah, all channel that all sort of aggression it. and so with into, the music, into something positive with the music, right? Like with the music, I'd always done music. Music was always part of my life. Do you know what I mean? I was a raver baby in my mum's tummy. Do you know what I mean? To the dance vibes and that. And my father was a big, big music fan, and I always grew up around music and Marshall Mathers, Eminem. Like I used to relate so much to him, like. I used to just put on a pair of headphones and drown everything else out and it'd just be me and Marshall in my room. And for years he kept me going. And then when I actually found myself in prison, I started writing. And I found it just a beautiful technique to to disassociate things what had happened to me. It was like I had all this stuff inside of me just brewing that mm. I hadn't ever let go. But then when I could write it down and I could physically throw that in yeah. the bin yeah there was more symbology behind that than yeah. I actually ever realized yeah I was letting things go as it was coming from here onto there and yeah. out into the quantum where I do you know what I mean they don't exist for me anymore yeah. um but I was doing that unknowingly um and then yeah we got Eva again Eva's just so amazing Eva being the uh let's just know Eva's the, the founder and the CEO of the charity. Yeah, the founder of Key for Life, my saving grace. Eva contacted me and said, uh, Liam, we've had Sony on the phone and Sony Music would like to do an EP with you and the guys, a seven track album. Do you know Fred again? And I was like, Eva, do I know Fred again? Like Fred again's my hero. And she was like, Yeah, so Fred again's gonna produce the track for you. So yeah, we did. We we made a seven track album with Sony done really well it's on grm daily now um and fred again produced it we shot our video just at the road actually glastonbury tour yeah so we're up on the it's tour. amazing video that one well that's the spot it all begins for us that's a really powerful mean? really powerful video and it's got all you guys sharing your your own journeys Story. of what you've been through and mm. yeah showing it not 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 no holds barred just putting it out there mm, saying literally. what happened and then yeah the positive message of coming through it all mm, and, and watching that track is um, it's unbelievably powerful actually it's, it's amazing yeah a lot of people what's the title of the track in it's um let it go let it go yeah but obviously there's a couple of issues because there's a few other songs called let it go i'm sure i don't have to name them i can think of a couple but yeah. um but yeah let it go key for life and the video for it's actually on grm daily i think it's on like thirty thousand views yeah it, it rightly does deserve a lot more but yeah. um you know what? It's thirty thousand people that got the message that didn't have the message yeah. before. So yeah, just aware of time a little bit. Um, Sorry, well, not at all. Um, in a nutshell, what? In a nutshell, what? What, what did? You, what was the the most important thing that Key for Life did for you? Introduced me to Yo Valley. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but no. In in a nutshell, in all seriousness, they believed in me again. That was that was the magic piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that belief. Yeah. Someone actually saying, You can do this, Liam. You're valued. 
like when they lit that fire in me again that i've been yeah. lit in a while i just i combust in flames <laughs> so to speak i just yeah. the passion was there and they introduced me to to yo valley farms and yeah that all happened. so yo valley farms you got they got you got a job there right yeah so i met met them on a speed date and exercise in in portland prison sarah the amazing sarah mead come in interviewed me in portland jail and the same was said again liam if you're serious about changing your life i can help you do that but she did say um along the lines of any stick i won't take any stick if you take the mick you'll be out and i really needed that as well i needed that tough love along with yeah. you know what i mean the opportunity because that was what i'd always understood as well so yeah so that opportunity come and i went out with working for yo valley um outdoors in the conservation team so i was back on my home soil as such, do you know what I mean? Back out with the green outdoors and able to just be in touch with nature again, do you know what I mean? And just see for as far as the eye could see and and make the world a better place for for everyone to live, not only humans, but like animals. I was I, I just felt this overwhelming connection to to nature and to to life and on a much deeper level than what I'd experienced it before. Yeah, so amazing opportunity for you after the doldrums of a, a small cell on that first yeah. prison yeah. prison uh, experience through to this big expansive open nurturing nature mm. job and opportunity at Yo Valley um, and of course while you're working at Yo Valley you were working with the charity Key for Life yeah. you, you graduated from the program you became a mentor so you were helping other young men yeah. and you Come. still do yeah. to um, to uh, yeah turn their own lives around using yeah. your own experience and what you've learned with yeah. Key for Life so that was obviously major yeah it's great because key for life they do when you've been through the program and stuff yeah if you're interested in paying it forward now yeah you can you can be put through the peer mentoring qualifications there's an aqa and peer mentoring level two and three so then you can come on as a trained key mentor and help the other lads on their journey which i just think is beautiful because it's just completing the whole circle well yeah so yeah with that i guess we're coming into the return stage of the journey because the return is about um yeah bringing something back an elixir to share with others and you share you you obviously were sharing um through the key mentorship yeah um, by now you're sharing through your rap music sharing your yeah. story and sharing uh, important messages that you wanted to share through the music um you're also by now um well not yeah since you've set up your own business exaco flavors uh, which came out of running the Key for Life food cell. Yeah. Which, uh, do you want to say a little bit about the food cell quickly? Yeah, so, so the food cell is Key for Life's food truck adventure. So it's, um, it's essentially it's a sweat box, which is a prison van for those that don't know what a sweat box is. And a prison van is the van what essentially would take you to prison should you go to prison. So they bought a prison van and they renovated it into a, a professional kitchen to to now train young men up, do you know what I mean? Build up their skills, build up their confidence. That was the first one. But then they launched a second one, which is a lot more state-of-the-art. And that was kindly, um, the money was raised for that by the Winter family. Yeah. So I'd just like to say yeah. thank you to the Winter family and God rest Jack, because Jack passed away. Um, I believe it was at 20 years old, I think. To live yeah, Jack Winter. Jack yeah. Winter. And yeah, Jack, Jack's helped helped a lot of lads now including me do you know what i mean yeah. because they launched they got all this money together and put it into this project to help save young men's lives because jack weren't no angel himself do you know what i mean jack jack loved it he 
he he liked to party and he wanted to live life on his own terms, which he did. But then the Winter family raised this money for for this burger venture, and now that goes out to festivals, to local communities, with lads that, as horrible as it sounds, would have been taken away from this community at one point. Yeah. They weren't a benefit to the community. Yeah. But now they come in there clean, resolved, and able to offer a product and a service to the community and give back in a positive way and, and off, learn the, off the back of that valuable world. skills exactly for, for their own business development skills yeah. and that's what they were well, off the back of the food cell i learned everything i could about it and that's what then led me on to starting my own business in catering with my burger vans and ice cream vans that's right i pretty much i pretty much met you for the first time with the food over cell. a burger yeah. Yeah, yeah over the best burger you've ever eaten as well just for record definitely up Near the top, for the, sure. The top. Actually, Kefalos can be second top, Execo flavours. I have had some bad. exceptional ones there, yeah. Although I haven't actually had an Execo flavour one. Oh, you just wait. Think, yeah. The best is yet to come. I'm well. looking forward to that. Bringing all these things back, sharing with the community through Key for Life, through Execo flavours. Um, and, yeah, obviously life is pretty good now. and um, Unrecognisable. How do you... How do you keep yourself sort of fit and healthy and on track and sane um what do you do to kind of maintain your your positive attitude now i just like i just remember where i come from a lot of the time that that grounds me because we've all got problems we're all always going to have problems they're just different qualities to the problems and i find now even though i'm clean of drugs and I can spend my time as I want. I've still got all these problems. Do you know what I mean? But they're high quality problems now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're much better quality. So when I'm dealing with the pressures of today's society and the world we live in, and I just kind of just take a breath, ring up my mum. Do you know what I mean? Have a chat with my mum, ring up my nan and granddad, get grounded with them just through hearing their voice. And then I just remember where I've come from and where I am today. And this or everything what's going on right now is a moment of time. And I just got to do my best in this moment of time to make the next moment even better. So that's just, that's just what I do well. I just always try to think positive. If something's negative, I'll reframe it mm. and I'll try and see it as a positive. Yeah. So say if someone, say if I meant to, a little drama, but say if someone's arranged for a meeting with me at four o'clock and then they cancel their meeting rather than being oh no, no, no well now i get to spend an extra couple more hours with my beautiful girlfriend do you know what i mean so it's just always reframing things no matter whether they're the biggest problem in the world to the littlest problem finding that little bit of silver lining and focusing on that and then taking that piece into the future rather than all the bad yeah great because if i took all the bad with me into the future yeah, I don't think I'll be here now. Like you said, it's a perfect excuse to just never find your way home, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm remembering, of course, that we did say that you'd do a little rap, didn't we? Um, How tell much you what, money are you going to pay me? Got, <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about that afterwards. If that's yeah, okay. I mean, <laughs> this is all for I am, free, I guys. Too. I love Will um, a lot. Tell you what, let's have one last question, then we'll do the rap. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll we'll do we'll, it a cappella. The last question will be... Um, what advice would you have for anyone out there, whether involved with crime or, or not, but who is stuck in a rut, doing things, maybe stuck in bad behavior patterns and habits that they don't know how to get out of, they're stuck in them and they don't know how to change. 
what would your advice be for starting points for turning things around and make, making it making a change well it's like how do i say it without sounding too philosophical it's do you need to <laughs> yeah literally it's just okay. well first thing i'd say is all them people that are there they, they've made a mistake to to be feeling this way and my advice to that is somebody that that never made a mistake they actually never made anything at all do you know what I mean? Yeah. When we make these mistakes, when we're in these moments of despair, that's where we learn the most. That's where the most growth lies. Absolutely. So try and just be present with it and just try and grow from it. And remember that, that it's temporary. Fingers crossed it's temporary. And pain's temporary, pride's forever. So the pain, what you're feeling now will subside. And what you can take from this moment now could could you could be proud for the rest of your life. So just don't, don't give up on yourself just yet. And yeah, just keep marching on, keep going forward because there's always better days ahead for as long as you believe that and you're willing to, to march forward to them. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Well, uh, let's have that wrap. I'm only joking. <laughs> Drummer bass bars. Um, so I won't wrap it well, because usually my music is, it's very, very, very yeah. fast, yeah, quick yeah, yeah. of the tongue. Yeah. And I don't want people to have to listen to it yeah. eight times to understand what I said. So I'll, I'll yeah. deliver it in almost a spoken word poetry form. Okay, great. Guilty verdict. My brother got birded. Now he's trapped in the dock with the demons circling. Them angels purging. My life's full of burdens. My brother took his life and it's silent. How ironic when nobody heard him. I got loud, pick up the mic, got working. I'll never be perfect. My bleeding heart still hurting, but the truth be told, they already know I love it when demons circling. Bro, bang it, I hope they heard it. It works if you work it, my brother, work it because you're worth it. Remember the first place you ever heard it. You're the real stuff, there's no such thing as perfect. You're pretty close, my brother, though, you're always learning. Talking about what you could be, not could have been, that got that fire burning. Now we'll get their stomachs turning. I bet they'll turn it up when they heard it. Awesome. Do you want more? Go on then. Yeah. Couple more bars. The real ones with that mad love. I'll get the man them on stage paid someday to get the fan them to throw their hands up. I'll make the hairs on your back all stand up. Fall down someday, nothing but mad love. Never thought blue lights would ever catch us. One day, prison's a state of mind and I still see guys on the other side and they're living life less banged up. Six years banged up, some said bad luck. Now I'll pot on the box and see my face flash up. It's all looking mad, bro. No pressure. Back in the day, it was mad tough. Nowadays, I arrive at the place and get the people jumping from the front to the back, bro. Pulling up in a black bus. Four of my G's in a black tux. And the camera's flash, bro. Will gets gassed up. <laughs> Why? Because we come from the madness and the badness and the sadness. I remember the times when we had less. Now we sit back with a two-pack and a big pack of dreams. Feeling like Biggie Smalls while we manifest. Amazing. Thank Ditto you. To you Will. Ditto to you, my brother. Thank, thank you for having me, Will. I've 
Thank you so Love much. Dan. I'm sorry if I pressed the time with my rambling. Don't you worry at all. <laughs> it's been uh, really awesome to hear your story. I mean, I've heard it, you know, snippets of your story in different shorter formats um, a few times, and this time it's great to go deep mm. into it in more a couple detail. Couple exclusives there, Will. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And um, thank you, yeah, brother. thank you, man. thank you, thank and you, everyone. To to follow up, um, how do people find out more about Key for Life? Where they want to support the charity, they want to know about the programs. What's the website? So the website, if, if if you're interested in becoming a mentor for the charity, that just looks like being a mentor, being a point of contact for a young man. If you're somebody that's got job opportunities that you feel like you haven't got employment roles, but just opportunities at the business with someone, you could offer someone a three day work taster. We're looking for them. If there's any way, shape or form that you feel like you can help and it's something that you would like to do we would love to hear from you so the contact on that would be www.keyforlife.org.uk excellent Is and that then right that's perfect. And then <laughs> Exaco Flavors, your company. Your and business. then my company is available on social medias, and that's Execo Flavors Fine Catering. Execo spelled E X E C O, and it represents exclusive and eco friendly because all our produce is exclusive to Somerset and eco-friendly. And that's on Facebook? That's on Facebook Instagram. and Instagram, yeah. Rap, my rap name, Meza. Um, M-E-Z-Z-A. M-E-Z-Z-A, yeah. On YouTube, I've got three, three songs out on YouTube at the moment, but under Key for Life's label, which is obviously Key for Life, we've got another seven songs there, and I've got another 10 tunes pending for release within the next, by Christmas, we'll say. Whoop, 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 whoop. Watch this space. We're coming up. Great. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Will. God bless you, brother. Yeah, you too. Pleasure, Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Folly or Blisters, produced in association with Conscious Frontiers. I'd like to say a big heartfelt thank you to Isaac Nichols for editing this podcast series, to Michael Tyak for the music, and to our wonderful partners, which include the trailblazing new consciousness magazines, Resurgence and Ecologist and Kindred Spirit, the UK's Frontier Restorative Festival, Medicine Festival, and here in Glastonbury, the vibrant, reverent community enterprise hub, and also GFM Radio, who've kindly lent us their recording studios. Finally, if you have any friends or family who you think would enjoy and benefit from this podcast, please do spread the word and send positive ripples out into the world. Thanks a million. <laughs>